Chapter 10 of Liza of Lambeth by W. Somerset Maugham. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Hatton 43, blog de la canzen.wordpress.com. It was November. The fine weather had quite gone now, and with it much of the sweet pleasure of Jim and Liza's love. When they came out at night on the embankment, they found it cold and dreary. Sometimes a light fog covered the river banks and made the lamps glow out dim and large. A light rain would be falling, which sent a chill into their very souls. Foot passengers came along at rare intervals, holding up umbrellas and staring straight in front of them as they hurried along in the damp and cold. A cab would pass rapidly by, splashing up the mud on each side. The benches were deserted, except perhaps for some poor homeless wretch who could afford no shelter and huddled up in a corner, with his head buried in his breast, was sleeping heavily like a dead man. The wet mud made Liza's skirts cling about her feet, and the damp would come in and chill her legs, and creep up her body, till she shivered, and for warmth pressed herself close against Jim. Sometimes they would go into the third-class waiting rooms at Waterloo or Charing Cross, and sit there, but it was not like the park or the embankment on summer nights. They had warmth, but the heat made their wet clothes steam and smell, and the gas flared in their eyes, and they hated the people perpetually coming in and out, opening the doors, and letting in a blast of cold air. They hated the noise of the guards and porters shouting out the departure of the trains, the shrill whistling of the steam engine, the hurry and bustle and confusion. About eleven o'clock, when the trains grew less frequent, they got some quietness, but then their minds were troubled, and they felt heavy, sad, and miserable. One evening they had been sitting at Waterloo Station. It was foggy outside, a thick, yellow, November fog, entering the lungs and making the mouth taste nasty and the eyes smart. It was about half-past eleven, and the station was unusually quiet. A few passengers, in wraps and overcoats, were walking to and fro, waiting for the last train, but one or two porters were standing about yawning. Liza and Jim had remained for an hour in perfect silence, filled with a gloomy unhappiness, as of a great weight on their brain. Liza was sitting forward, with her elbows on her knees, resting her face on her hands. I wish I was straight, she said at last, not looking up. Well, why won't you come along with me altogether? And you'll be all right then, he answered. Nah, that's no go. I can't do that. He had often asked her to live with him entirely, but she had always refused. You can come along with me and I'll take a room in a lodging house in Holloway, and we can live there as if we was married. What about your work? I can get work over the other side as well as I can here. I'm about sick of the way things is going on. So am I, but I can't leave mother. She can come too. Not when I'm not married. I shouldn't like her to know as I'd, as I'd done wrong. Well, I'll marry her. Swap me, Bob. I wants her badly enough. You can't. You're married already. That don't matter. If I'll give the missus so much a week out of my screw, she'll sign a paper to give up all claim to me, and then we can get spliced. One of the men as I works with done that, and it was all right. Liza shook her head. Nah, you can't do that now. It's bigamy, and the cops takes you, and he gets twelve months hard for it. But swap me, Bob, Liza. I can't go on like this. You knows the missus. Well, there ain't no blooming doubt about it. She knows as you and me are carrying on and she makes no bones about letting me see it. She don't do that. Well, she don't exactly say it, but she sulks and won't speak, and then when I says anything, she rounds on me, 
and calls me all the names she can think of. I'd give her a good hiding, but somehow I don't like her. She makes the place a hell to me, and I'm not going to stand it no longer. You'll have to sit it then. You can't chuck it. Yes, I can, and I would if you'd come along of me. I don't believe you like me at all, Liza, or you'd come. She turned towards him and put her arms round his neck. You know I do, old cock, she said. I like you better than anyone else in the world, but I can't go away and leave mother. Belie me if I see why. She's never been much to you. She makes you slave away to pay the rent, and all the money she earns she boozes. That's true. She ain't been what you might call a good mother to me. But somehow she's my mother, and I don't like to leave her on her own. Now she's so old, and she can't do much with the rheumatics. And besides, Jim, dear, it ain't only mother, but there's your own kids. You can't leave them. He thought for a while, and then said, You're about right there, Liza. I don't know if I could get on without the kids. If I could only take them and you too, swap me, Bob, I should be happy. Liza smiled sadly. So you see, Jim, we're in a bloomin' hole, and there ain't no way out of it that I can see. He took her on his knees, and pressing her to him, kissed her very long and very lovingly. Well, we must trust to luck, she said again. Perhaps something'll happen soon, and everything'll come right in the end, when we gets four balls of worsted for a penny. It was past twelve, and separating, they went by different ways, along the dreary, wet, deserted roads, till they came to Veer Street. The street seemed quite different to Liza from what it had been three months before. Tom, the humble adorer, had quite disappeared from her life. One day, three or four weeks after the August bank holiday, she saw him dawdling along the pavement, and it suddenly struck her that she had not seen him for a long time. But she had been so full of her happiness that she had been unable to think of anyone but Jim. She wondered at his absence, since before wherever she had been, there was he certain to be also. She passed him, but to her astonishment he did not speak to her. She thought by some wonder he had not seen her, but she felt his gaze resting upon her. She turned back, and suddenly he dropped his eyes and looked down, walking on as if he had not seen her, but blushing furiously. Tom, she said, why don't you speak to me? He started and blushed more than ever. I didn't know you was there, he stuttered. Don't tell me, she said. What's up? Nothing as I knows of, he answered uneasily. I ain't offended yet, have I, Tom? Nah, not as I knows of, he replied, looking very unhappy. You don't ever come my way now, she said. I didn't know as you wanted to see me. Go on, you knows I likes you as well as anybody. You like so many people, Liza, he said, flushing. What do you mean, said Liza indignantly, but very red. She was afraid he knew now and it was from him especially she would have been so glad to hide it. Nothing, he answered. One doesn't say things like that without any meaning, unless one's a blind fool. You're right there, Liza, he answered. I am a blind fool. He looked at her a little reproachfully, she thought, and then he said goodbye and turned away. At first she was horrified that he should know of her love for Jim, but then she did not care. After all, it was nobody's business, and what did anything matter, as long as she loved Jim and Jim loved her? Then she grew angry that Tom should suspect her. He could know nothing but that some of the men had seen her with Jim near Vauxhall, and it seemed mean that he should condemn her for that. Thenceforward, when she ran against Tom, she cut him. He never tried to speak to her, but as she passed him, 
pretending to look out in front of her, she could see that he always blushed, and she fancied his eyes were very sorrowful. Then several weeks went by, and as she began to feel more and more lonely in the street, she regretted the quarrel. She cried a little as she thought that she had lost his faithful, gentle love, and she would have much liked to be friends with him again. If he had only made some advance, she would have welcomed him so cordially. But she was too proud to go to him herself and beg him to forgive her. And then, how could he forgive her? She had lost Sally too, for on her marriage, Harry had made her give up the factory. He was a young man with principles worthy of a member of Parliament, and he had said, A woman's place is her own, and if her old man can't afford to keep her without her working in a factory, well, all I can say is that he'd better go and get single. Quite right too, agreed his mother-in-law, and what's more, she'll have a baby to look after soon, and that'll take her all her time, and there's no one as knows that better than me, for I've had twelve, to say nothing of two stills and one miss. Liza quite envied Sally her happiness, for the bride was brimming over with song and laughter. Her happiness overwhelmed her. I am happy, she said to Liza one day a few weeks after her marriage. You don't know what a good sort Harry is. He's just a darling and there's no mistaking it. I don't care what other people say, but what I says is there's nothing like marriage. Never a cross word passes his lips. And Mother has all her meals with us, and he says all the better. Well, I'm that happy I simply don't know if I'm standing on my head or on my heels. But alas, it did not last too long. Sally was not so full of joy when next Liza met her, and one day her eyes looked very much as if she had been crying. What's the matter? asked Liza, looking at her. What have you been blubbering about? Me, said Sally, getting very red. Oh, I've got a bit of a toothache, and, well, I'm rather a fool-like, and it hurts so much that I couldn't help crying. Liza was not satisfied, but could get nothing further out of her. Then one day it came out. It was a Saturday night, the time when women in Veer Street weep. Liza went up into Sally's room for a few minutes, on her way to the Westminster Bridge Road, where she was to meet Jim. Harry had taken the top back room, and Liza, climbing up the second flight of stairs, called out as usual. What ho, Sally? The door remained shut, although Liza could see that there was a light in the room but on getting to the door she stood still, for she heard the sound of sobbing. She listened for a minute, and then knocked. There was a little flurry inside, and someone called out, Who's there? Only me, said Liza, opening the door. As she did so, she saw Sally rapidly wipe her eyes and put her handkerchief away. Her mother was sitting by her side, evidently comforting her. What's up, Sal? asked Liza. Nothing, answered Sally with a brave little gasp to stop the crying, turning her face downwards so that Liza should not see the tears in her eyes. But they were too strong for her, and quickly taking out her handkerchief, she hid her face in it, and began to sob broken-heartedly. Liza looked at the mother in interrogation. Oh, it's that man again, said the lady, snorting and tossing her head. Not Harry, asked Liza in surprise. Not Harry? Who is it if it ain't Harry, the villain? What's he been doing then? asked Liza again. Been her. That's what he's been doing. Oh, the villain. He ought to be ashamed of himself, he ought. I didn't know he was like that, said Liza. Didn't you? I thought the old street knew it by now, said Mrs. Cooper indignantly. Oh, he's a wrong and he is. It wasn't his fault, put in Sally amidst her sobs. It's only because he's had a little drop too much. He's all right when he's sober. 
and it will drop too much. I should just think he had the beast. I'd give it him if I was a man. They're all like that. Husbands is all alike. They're right when they're sober, sometimes, but when they've got liquor in them, they're beasts and no mistake. I had a husband myself for five and twenty years and I know him. Well, mother, sobbed Sally, it was all my fault. I should have come home earlier. Now, nah, it wasn't your fault at all. Just look here, Liza. This is what he'd done and call himself a man. Just because Sally'd gone out to have a chat with Mrs. MacLeod next door, when she come in, he start banging her about. And me too. What do you think of that? Mrs. Cooper was quite purple with indignation. Yes, she went on. That's a man for you. Of course, I wasn't going to stand and see my daughter being knocked about. It wasn't likely, was it? And he rounds on me. He hits me with his fist. Look here. She pulled up her sleeves and showed two red and brawny arms. He's bruised my arms. I thought he'd broken it at first. If I hadn't put my arm up, he'd have got me on the head, and he might have killed me. And I says to him, if you touch me again, I'll go to the police station, that I will. Well, that frightened him a bit, and then didn't I let him have it? You call yourself a man, says I. You ain't fit to clean the drains out. You should have heard the language he used. You dirty old woman, says he. You would go away. You're always interfering with me. Well, I don't like to repeat what he said, and that's the truth. And I says to him, I wish you'd never married my daughter, and if I'd known you was like this, I'd have died sooner than later. Well, I didn't know he was like that, said Liza. He was all right at first, said Sally. Yes, they're always all right at first, but to think it should have come to this now, when they ain't been married three months, and the first child not born yet, I think it's disgraceful. Liza stayed a little while longer, helping to comfort Sally, who kept pathetically taking to herself all the blame of the dispute, and then, bidding her good night and better luck, she slid off to meet Jim. When she reached the appointed spot, he was not to be found. She waited for some time, and at last saw him come out of the neighbouring pub. Good night, Jim, she said as she came up to him. So you've turned up, have you? He answered roughly, turning round. What's the matter, Jim? she asked in a frightened way, for he had never spoken to her in that manner. Nice thing to keep me waiting all night for you to come out. She saw that he had been drinking, and answered humbly, I'm very sorry, Jim, but I went in to see Sally, and a bloke had been knocking her about, and so I sat with her a bit. Knocking her about, Addy? And serve her damn well right too, and there's many more as could do with a good hiding. Liza did not answer. He looked at her, and then suddenly said, Come in and have a drink. Now nah, I'm not thirsty, I don't want a drink, she answered. Come on, he said angrily. Now, nah, Jim, you've had quite enough already. Who are you talking to, he said. Don't come if you don't want to. I'll go and have one by myself. Now, nah, Jim, don't, she caught hold of his arm. Yes, I shall, he said, going towards the pub, while she held him back. Let me go, can't you? Let me go. He roughly pulled his arm away from her. As she tried to catch hold of it again, he pushed her back and in the little scuffle caught her a blow over the face. Ow! she cried. You did hurt. He was sobered at once. Liza, he said. I ain't hurt you. She didn't answer, and he took her in his arms. Liza, I ain't hurt you, have I? Say I ain't hurt you. I'm so sorry. I beg your pardon, Liza. All right, old chap, she said, smiling charmingly on him. It wasn't the blow that hurt me so much. It was the way you was talking. I didn't mean it, Liza. He was so contrite, he could not humble himself enough. I had another blooming row with the missus tonight. Then, when I didn't find you here, and I kept waiting and waiting, well, 
I fared downright lost my air. Two or three pints of four half and, well, I don't know. Never mind, old cock. I can stand more than that as long as he loves me. He kissed her, and they were quite friends again. But the little quarrel had another effect, which was worse for Liza. When she woke up the next morning, she noticed a slight soreness over the ridge of the bone under the left eye, but on looking in the glass saw that it was black and blue and green. She bathed it, but it remained, and seemed to get more marked. She was terrified lest people should see it, and kept indoors all day, but next morning it was blacker than ever. She went to the factory with a hat over her eyes and her head bent down. She escaped observation, but on the way home she was not so lucky. The sharp eyes of some of the girls noticed it first. "'What's the matter with your eye?' asked one of them. "'Me?' answered Liza, putting her hand up as if in ignorance. "'Nothing that I knows of.' Two or three young men were standing by, and hearing the girl looked up. "'Why, you've got a black eye, Liza?' "'Me? I ain't got no black eye.' "'Yes, you have.' "'How'd you get it?' "'I don't know,' said Liza. "'I didn't know I had one.' "'Go on, tell us another,' was the answer. "'One doesn't get a black eye without knowing how they got it.' "'Well, I did fall against the chest of drawers yesterday. "'I suppose I must have got it then.' "'Oh, yes. We believe that, don't we?' "'I didn't know he was so handy with his jukes. "'Did you, Ted?' asked one man of another. "'Liza felt herself grow red to the tips of her toes. "'Who?' she asked. Never you mind, nobody you know. At that moment, Jim's wife passed and looked at her with a scowl. Liza wished herself a hundred miles away and blushed more violently than ever. What are you blushing about? Ingenuously asked one of the girls. And they all looked from her to Mrs. Blakeston and back again. Someone said, How about our Sunday boots on now? And a titter went through them. Liza's nerve deserted her. She could think of nothing to say and a sob burst from her. To hide the tears which were coming from her eyes, she turned away and walked homewards. Immediately, a great shout of laughter broke from the group, and she heard them positively screaming till she got into her own house. End of chapter 10